0: Six years after I had been hit in the face with a baseball bat flown to the hospital and placed into a coma, I was selected as the top male athlete at Denison University and named to the ESPN Academic All-America Team, an honor given to just 33 players across the country. When I graduated, I was awarded the university's highest academic honor, the President's Medal. Looking back on those years, I realized I had accomplished something rare. I fulfilled my potential. And I believe the concepts in this book can help you fulfill your potential as well. That is from Atomic Habits by James Clear and one thing that stood out to me the first time I read this was just how much I love this book and well, how much I kind of hate James Clear. I'm I'm, I'm kind of kidding. I'm kind of kidding about hating James Clear, but not that much. So here's the thing. I'm going to just be out front and selfish about my feelings, but I have been studying behavior science, animal training, positive psychology, operant conditioning, you know, whatever you want to call it for nearly 30 years. Oh my God, I'm old. And James Clear has no background in behavior science. He's read a lot, and he's had some incredible life experiences, including that traumatic event of being in a coma after getting hit in the face by a baseball bat. And he has studied the subject in depth, but his degree is in biomechanics, not behavior science, not psychology. So when I first read Atomic Habits, I was, I was kind of pissed I was pissed at James for writing this amazing book. I was pissed at society for falling all over themselves for this book. Most of all, I was pissed at myself for not writing this book. <laughs> I mean, nothing he writes about in Atomic Habits is new to me. Absolutely nothing. At least, at least not from an animal training standpoint. But when we're applying these ideals and principles to our own lives, well, that's kind of why I created ZooFid, to show how animal training methods could be applied to our own lives. And here was this biomechanic doing just that, and very effectively in my ad. What was he doing that I wasn't? And again, if you think that I'm a conceited asshole, you're not wrong. I'm just being bluntly honest in my selfish, self-centered mind why I couldn't bring myself to like James Clear or Atomic Habits. Now, lately, I've been on this journey to figure out how to connect with my audience more. It's one of the reasons I started this podcast and the other why I have a blog and I'm soon going to be revamping my YouTube. And here's the thing, why I'm doing these projects is to connect. And that was how James Clear was able to make it big with Atomic Habits. He connects with his audience in a very real way. James Clear isn't a psychology professor or an expert in behavior science, so he doesn't use this technical mumbo jumbo jargon that I often refer to as nerdy words. He actually spoke to his audience like anyone else in ways that anyone can understand, not just animal trainers or, or behavior change specialists. And his essays, he does blog posts, he has articles all over, um, all over the internet. They resonate with more and more people. And that's because he's not a professional expert. He's a self-made expert. And he became that way with his audience because his audience, his readers trust him. He's one of them. So James Clear has found the key connecting to others so that what he says resonates and hits home. And with that realization, I took to reading Atomic Habits once more, and now I need two episodes to get through the big ideas. So in part one today, I'm sharing the big ideas that resonated with me the most, the ones where my eyes widened and I wrote a paragraph of inspired notes. In part two, we're going to delve into the science behind Atomic Habits, how animal trainers use some of these principles to build trust with their animals and empower them for better well-being. And this is me sharing a book written for humans to explain principles used to train animals, to show how they work great for humans. I know this is my spin, is that these methods, habits aren't just sustainable and life-changing; that they're actually fun, engaging, and impactful. So, Atomic Habits is broken up into four main sections based on Charles Duhigg's Power of Habit formula, that is the cue, make it obvious, the craving make it attractive, the response, make it easy, and the reward, make it satisfying. But before he delves into the formula of creating atomic habits, James Clear shares with us some amazing ideas about developing habits, which is going to bring us to big idea number one. Habits are about the process, not the destination. Quote, Prevailing wisdom claims that the best way to achieve what we want in life, getting into shape, building a successful business, relaxing more and worrying less, spending more time with friends and family, is to set specific, actionable goals. For many years, this was how I approached my habits, too. Each one was a goal to be reached. I set goals for grades I wanted to get in school, for weights I wanted to lift in the gym, for profits I wanted to earn in business. Eventually, I began to realize that my results had very little to do with the goals I set and nearly everything to do with the systems I followed. What's the difference between systems and goals? Goals are about the results you want to achieve. Systems are about the processes that lead to those results. All right, so here's the thing that took me eons to figure out. You cannot control the outcomes or your results you want with your goals. And This is the same with our habits. If your goal is to lose weight, believe it or not, you can't actually control the numbers on the scale. Now, James talks about this further. If you're a coach, your goal might be to win a championship. Your system is the way you recruit players, manage your assistant coaches, and conduct practices. If you're an entrepreneur, your goal might be to build a million-dollar business. Your system is how you test products, ideas, hire employees, and run marketing campaigns. Now, I can think of more examples. If you're looking for a job, your goal might be to get a job offer. Your system is going to be applying for those jobs, polishing your resume and your cover letter, and then putting your best foot forward when you're in your interviews. If you're writing a book, your goal may be getting accepted by a traditional publisher. Your system is writing daily, getting those critiques, building your audience and querying agents. And of course, if your goal is to lose weight, you might build the systems of drinking more water, creating an exercise schedule, preparing healthy meals and prioritizing sleep. Again, here's the crappy news. You cannot control if you get the job offer or not. You cannot control if you get your book accepted by a traditional publisher or not, or even if you lose weight or gain it. All you can control is what you do to make these things possible. The systems you put into place, regardless of the results, if I focus on the process, then I'm on the right path. And Chances are, is if I continue with my systems, keep trying, keep improving, keep rocking my protocols, I will achieve and accomplish all my goals, even if they aren't exactly as I originally envisioned them. As James puts it, when you fall in love with the process rather than the results, you don't have to wait to give yourself permission to be happy. You can be satisfied any time your system is running. And a system can be successful in many different forms not just the one you first envision. Big idea number two, being the person you want to be. Quote, many people begin the process of changing their habits by focusing on what they want to achieve. This leads to outcome-based habits. The alternative is to build identity-based habits. With this approach, we start by focusing on who we wish to become. Imagine two people resisting a cigarette. When offered a smoke, the first person says, no thanks, I'm trying to quit. Sounds like a reasonable response, but this person still believes they are a smoker who is trying to be something else. They are hoping their behavior will change while carrying around the same beliefs. The second person declines by saying, no thanks, I'm not a smoker. It's a small difference, but this statement signals a shift in identity. Smoking may have been a part of their former life, but it's not their current one. They no longer identify as someone who smokes. Last week in Superhuman by Habit, I shared a quote attributed to Aristotle that says, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, therefore, is not an act, but a habit. Now let's focus on that first sentence because this is essentially what James Clear is telling us. We are, our identity, what we repeatedly do, our habits. Now, Clear explains further by saying true behavior change is identity change. You might start a habit because of motivation, but the only reason you'll stick with one is that it becomes part of your identity. So folks, each moment we have a choice to step forward with our new identity, becoming a reader, becoming a healthy eater, becoming a conservationist, When we choose these repeated actions that reinforce our new identity, we cast a vote towards that identity. And with each action, no matter how small or grand of a gesture, that builds up that new identity. We become more and more like the person we choose to be. Of course, it works the opposite way, too. Every time you choose to perform a bad habit, it's a vote for that identity. Now, the good news is that you don't need to be perfect. You don't need to be have this unanimous perfect vote to win an election, for example. You just need a majority. So for us, it doesn't matter if you, again, do a couple of bad behaviors or have an unproductive habit once in a while. Your goal is to simply win those good habits a majority of the time. So let's go to you for just one moment. What are some of your habits that you would love to implement. Now, how can this form a new identity? So instead of focusing on what we want with our, with our new habits, who do we want to become? Let that new identity start forming in our mind and start casting votes to become the person that we want to be. And big idea number three is changing our mindset around habits. Quote, you can make hard habits more attractive if you can learn to associate them with a positive experience. Sometimes all you need is a slight mindset shift. For example, we often talk about everything we, we have to do in a given day. We, you have to wake up early for work. You have to make another sales call for your business. You have to cook dinner for your family. Now imagine changing just one word. You don't have to, you get to. You get to wake up early for work. You get to make another sales call for your business. You get to cook dinner for your family. By simply changing one word, you shift the way you view each event. You transition from seeing these uh, these behaviors as burdens and turn them into opportunities. Well folks, I love this. I can't repeat how much I love this. The second law of behavior change is make it attractive. So how do you make the hard habits more attractive? You change your mindset from I have to, to I get to. I constantly receive weird and bewildered looks when I explain that burpees are my favorite exercise. If you still don't know what a burpee is, imagine falling on your face on purpose and then jumping back up. They are exhausting. They are hard. But They are also amazing. Why are burpees amazing? Because they work your entire body. You have squats, push ups, planks, jumping jacks, all in one. And for me, it's a celebration for my body. If I can do a burpee, then that's a reason right there to practice some. It celebrates my ability to move and do hard things. I don't ever have to do burpees, I get to do burpees. There's also a little bit of gratitude for these quote-unquote burdens when we say I get to. I get to wake up early for work because I have my dream job. I get to go to the DMV because I have a car. I get to cook dinner because I learned to cook well, and I want my family to eat healthy, delicious foods. Scientists state that the fastest way to switch your mood from anger or depression, and I'm not, I'm not talking about clinical depression, just that temporary state of sadness, the best way to switch that mood is to practice gratitude. So if you aren't feeling like doing a habit, then practice the I get to mentality flip and see if that changes your perception a little. And there's another reason I like the I get to mentality for appreciating hard habits. It has to do with turning parasites into pearls. Again, in their natural environment, the irritant that oysters most often turn into pearls aren't grains of sand, but actual parasites. So when we are faced with tough challenges, such as hard habits, new routines that feel out of place or burdens on our mental psyche, we can use this as fuel and turn them into pearls. We can thank the stoic gods for this opportunity, rub our hands together and say, let's do this. It's hard not to stay motivated when you get to prove yourself and then you get to cast your vote towards the person that you want to become before we continue with our zoo notable i'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors i couldn't do these notables without them so we'll be right back after these messages And big idea. Number four, the point isn't doing hard work. It's showing up even when you don't feel like it. Quote, people often think it's weird to get hyped about reading one page or meditating for one minute. But the point is not to do one thing. The point is to master the habit of showing up. A habit must be established before it can be approved. If you can't learn the basic skill of showing up, then you have little hope of mastering the finer details. We rarely think about change this way because everyone is consumed by the end goal. But one push-up is better than not exercising. One minute of guitar practice is better than none at all. One minute of reading is better than never picking up a book. It's better to do less than you hoped than to do nothing at all. So this is from chapter 13, how to stop procrastinating by using the two minute rule and the third law of behavior change, which is make it easy. Now the animal training terminology I thought of when I read this was behavior momentum. I love using behavior momentum to jumpstart my habits, especially when I don't feel like doing anything. It's the philosophy of just get started doing the easiest amount of my habit to rev my engines. I don't feel like doing a full workout, how about 10 burpees? Or just dance it out to one single song. If I don't feel like writing, maybe if I'm feeling particularly resistant to writing, I won't necessarily work on my book, but maybe on some other fun, exciting projects I have. I can set my timer for five minutes and just work. 100 words, perfect. And James Clear speaks further about this aspect in chapter 16, How to Stick with Good Habits Every Day. He says, quote, Bad habits are often the most important ones. Simply doing something 10 squats, five sprints, a push up, anything really is huge. It's not always about what happens during the workout, it's about being the type of person who doesn't miss workouts. It's easy to train when you feel good, but it's crucial to show up when you don't feel like it, even if you do less than you'd hoped. Going to the gym for five minutes may not improve your performance, but it reaffirms your identity. Once again, it's about who we want to be. Do I want to be the person who quits writing her book or do I want to be a writer? A writer shows up no matter what. Well, Stephen King tells us in his memoir on writing that his muse is an old guy living in his basement. His muse doesn't sprinkle her his fairy magic dust just because Stephen wants to re- a new book written. Stephen has to show up. When we are consistent, not on how great our habits are, but on doing it daily, that's when the magic happens. I call it our habit fairy. She doesn't actually show the first few times, but if you keep showing up, eventually she understands that... You will be there when you say you will, and she starts waving her magic wand. And The other thing about the two-minute rule or behavior momentum and showing up is that most of the time when we just get started, we end up not wanting to stop. James tells us, Habits are like the entrance ramp to a highway. They lead you down a path and before you know it, you're speeding towards the next behavior. It seems to be easier to continue what you're already doing than to, just, than to start doing something different. So just setting my timer for five minutes is usually enough to get my creative juices flowing. And I'm shocked when the five minute timer goes off. Nine times out of 10, I don't stop at five minutes. I keep going until I've written 500 or maybe even a thousand words. So what's your habit that is super hard for you to get started? Can you work on it for just two minutes? Get some momentum going and show up for your habit fairy so they can wave their magic wand and give you the motivation to keep going. And big idea number five, how habits stick. Quote, Research has shown that people who track their progress on goals like losing weight, quitting smoking, and lowering blood pressure are all more likely to improve than those who don't. One study of more than 1,600 people found that those who kept a daily food log lost twice as much weight as those who did not. The mere act of tracking a behavior can spark the urge to change it. Now, this is from our final law of behavior change, make it satisfying, or as I say in ZooFit, make it awesome. So if you want a simple hack for making habits stick, use a habit tracker. James Clear mentions that this is a simple way to measure whether you did a habit. It also makes the habit obvious, which is the first law by giving you a visual cue to remind you. Habit tracking makes the behavior attractive, which is the second law, because you can see the progress you're making and you don't want to lose it, which is very, very motivating. And it's also satisfying, which is that fourth law, whenever you record your success. In fact, Habit tracking helps release that dopamine that to help us crave performing the habit so we can continue getting that hit. Now, most people think that food is the best reinforcer, but science shows that anything that gives us a hit of dopamine will stick with us. And more science shows that our brains love giving us that check mark or that gold star, whatever method you use to mark off doing your habit. This sends a signal to our brain that the behavior we just completed is pleasurable and that we should do it again. The feelings of pleasure, whether it's an intrinsic reward or that intrinsic good feeling, teaches your brain that certain actions are worth remembering and repeating habit tracking also serves as a wonderful non-scale victory meter. The number on the scale may be stubborn. And when we focus solely on that number, it will cause your motivation to sag. It's focusing on the outcome rather than the process. But if you look at your tracking device, you'll see that you're totally winning at the game. And that is reason to celebrate right there. Tracking also allows you to record other ways that you're improving. Perhaps you're able to Clean the holding areas of your work a little bit quicker or more efe- efficiently. Maybe your skin looks better or you wake up earlier and with more energy. Habit tracking help us focus on what really matters in developing a habit. Again, becoming the person we want to be. And how satisfying is that? And folks, we have a bonus big idea. Number six, mastery requires patience. Get used to being bored. Quote, Mastery requires patience. But the more you practice something, the more boring and routine it becomes. Once the beginner gains have been made and we learn what we expect, our interest starts to fade. The greatest threat to success is not failure, but boredom. And at some point, everyone faces the same challenge on the journey of self-improvement. You have to fall in love with boredom. I can guarantee that if you manage to start a habit and keep sticking to it, there will be days when you feel like quitting. When you start a business, there will be days when you don't feel like showing up. When you're at the gym, there will be sets that you don't feel like finishing. When it's time to write, there will be days that you don't feel like typing. But stepping up when it's annoying or painful or draining to do so, that's what makes the difference between a professional and an amateur. Professionals stick to the schedule. Amateurs let life get in the way. Professionals know what is, what is important to them and work towards it with purpose. Amateurs get pulled off course by the urgencies of life. You don't want to be a fair weather athlete or a fair weather writer or a fair weather anything. When a habit is truly important to you, you have to be willing to stick in it any mood. Professionals take action even when the mood isn't right. They may not enjoy it, but they find a way to put the reps in. Now, as our final big idea, I'm actually reminded of Stephen Pressfield's Turning Pro. In that book, he tells us, Turning pro is free, but not without cost. When we turn pro, we give up a life with which we may have become extremely comfortable. We give up a self that we have come to identify with and to call our own. He also differentiates professionals from amateurs. The root of amateur is love, as in we love doing it. But Pressfield and James Clear with Atomic Habits both challenge this notion. If we really love something, we wouldn't be an amateur. We wouldn't just put, in our, put it in the effort in our spare time or when it feels good. We'd go all in. We'd commit to this full time. We become a professional and show the proper level of commitment to something that we love so deeply. So one last time, what are some of the ideas that you want to incorporate this year? Who do you want to be? And how can we go from practicing it as an amateur to mastering it as a professional? And what's one step you can start doing today to work on your best self for tomorrow and forever? Well, there is part one of my thoughts on Atomic Habits by James Clear, absolute genius. Again, second time around, loved it a lot more. If you would like some more ideas on this amazing book, I recommend checking out Brian Johnson of Heroics Philosopher Notes. The link is in the description, or you can check the book out yourself. You can read it or listen to it from your local library or your local bookstore. But for now, let's close this episode with a few quotes. These are all by James Clear, unless otherwise noted. He starts off by saying, the most effective way to change your habits is to focus on not what you want to achieve, but on who you wish to become. He says, identity emerges out of your habits. Every action is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. Voltaire once wrote, the best is the enemy of the good. So don't worry about perfection, just do the work and the rest will take care of itself. We're back to James Clear who tells us, if an experience is not satisfying, we have little reason to repeat it. The Goldilocks rule states that humans experience peak motivation when working on tasks that are the right, that are right on the edge of their current abilities, not too hard, not too easy just right and finally we do not change by snapping our fingers and deciding to be someone entirely new we change bit by bit day by day habit by habit (music) Uh, thanks again for joining me for a zoo notable on atomic habits by james clear let me know your thoughts uh, Again, what big idea resonated with you the most and what idea are you going to start implementing today? If you ever have any ideas for future Zoo Notables, please feel free to email me at PJ at zoofit.net. Thanks again and I will see you all next time.